Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Innerverse. I'm your host, Chance, and it's been quite a long time since we had our returning guest on, but his work is big enough in just one video drop to fit a whole year's worth of conversations in. <laughs> uh, this is Clint Richardson. We recently, most recently had him on, I believe, February of last year, where he talked about his documentary, Lethal Injection to a, Cor- a Corruption of Blood. That was an epic, epic chat, I think three hours. And before that, we've had him on a few times to talk about his book, Straw Man Story and uh, the real versus the artificial and all the many ways that that conversation and drama plays out in our lives and in the world. I'm really excited to get into it today. I'll try to keep the intro brief, but you can find his work at Red Pill Sunday School on YouTube or BitChute. I'll have that linked in the show notes and also his website, strawmanstory.info is where you can get the massive, massive, really helpful reference book, Straw Man, the true story of your artificial person or the real story of your artificial person. One of those things. (laughs) So I'm excited to talk to him and catch up. It's been too long. We've got the Socrates of shattering spiritual solipsism. Clint Richardson. What's up, my man? Glad to be here. It's been, it has been a while, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, a year like 2021, it feels like a lot more than a year because of how much happened. And you know how they say that uh, time passes like a lot quicker as you get older? <laughs> that seems to uh, be that combined with all the weirdness uh, seems to be uh, seems to be a curse that's actually, you know, feeling quite real <clears throat> lately. Like time is really going by quick. Uh, speaking of curses. Did you hear about the cursed monkeys that, I mean, diseased monkeys that escaped the 100 monkeys? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. This just, came, this just came around like the last couple of days, but I can't remember where it was. I should have had the article pulled up. But there's this story going around that a truck transporting like research monkeys, there's 100 monkeys. So that's symbolic, 100th monkey effect. It crashes yeah. and in the cleanup or rescue or capturing of these monkeys, who, as soon as the story broke, they're like, and they might be carrying diseases. And now today they followed up with a story about some lady who was helping catch the monkeys and she's not feeling well. <laughs> the script writers are getting like pretty, pretty uh, repetitive. Uh, you know, I, I put out my video a couple of days ago and decided to take a little mental break <laughs> after that. So I haven't been following it. But I mean, uh, that sounds like the beginning of a couple movies I've seen. Uh, That's what my sister said. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like, uh, Oh, 28 days later or something like that. Right. Um, you know, those, uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's true and it wouldn't surprise me if it's a way of introducing a new disease into the population. I mean, either way, the incompetence that I uncovered in my, when I was documenting this, when I saw the ridiculousness of what the science profession has become and the amount of lab uh, escapes and lab, not, not escapes, but lab um, accidents that happen, especially ones that are unreported. Cause I mean, think about it. If you report an accident in the lab, you get stuck through your suit you know, a lot of people don't even report it because you're going to be quarantined. You're going to sit in a little room for whatever, how many days and get poked and prodded. So 
I mean, like, I don't think this is why you know I I put out part two of uh, of uh, wagging the dog about this COVID thing and about the entire science industry as it is, and I mean it's frightening what's happening. It, 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 in the known universe, let alone the unknown. So, I mean, this kind of thing, all I can say to people is they have taken everything known and, and unknown to us through through Anthony Fauci and that whole group of people, and they have altered these pathogens viruses whatever to a point where they express what they call these seven deadly sins you know the the things that you shouldn't be doing in the lab and yet they're allowed to because they're under government grant and so you've got you've got these mad scientists literally the not not real scientists right these are people that are doing things to see what happens not predicting what will happen but right just just ugly gross experimentation on um you know on things that shouldn't shouldn't be done so they're making i think let me interject really quick you once said science is when you're studying what nature will actually do and what nature actually does and then what we are calling science a lot of the time is unnatural combinations which is more in the realm of like pharmacia yeah, right. The conspiracy of science, really. Um, conspiracy is a combination of of things that uh, are meant to do harm, right? So, you're 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 talking about giving things the ability to be more pathogenic, more virulent, more deadly, you know, airborne, and all those different things that they call in their research the seven deadly sins. <laughs> I'm still amazed at that, and they, um, you know, it's 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 like there's no conscience behind these people. And, and I think those, I think in this type of atmosphere, you, you, you have this, you know, I hate, I hate to use the term godlessness, but you have this sense that there is no respect or authority, if you will, of, of any kind of law of nature. There's nothing stopping people from doing the worst, most atrocious things. I mean, did you see the expose that was actually on the news? I was surprised on the puppy farms that they have that, 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 Fauci. Yeah. that I mean, guy's still out walking around that alone. Thousands and thousands of millions, I guess, of, 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 of those of beagles or whatever that were being used for, research for absolutely you know animal research has been shown over and over and over to be pointless because we have different you know anatomies and systems and ways of of we have our own viruses we have our own this we have our own this there's no point in doing most of these tests on animals and that's what i mean there's just there's no conscience behind this there is no nature involved it is the it is the it really is the purpose is to disrupt nature, to change nature, to or to remake it in in our own image. That's that's what science has become. And so, even though it's called science, it's it's really doesn't qualify as true or natural science. It's it's completely out of control, out of hand. And man, things like this when you when you mention the 
the monkeys. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, like I said, it, it could be a true story. It could be a cover up. It could be whatever it is, the introduction of the next disease. And for the most part, these things, the reason they're creating these things is, is one and only one reason profit patenting and therefore vaccination because the idea is to to alter it to the point where it's infectious and you can make a vaccine even though that type of alteration that they do in the lab can never happen in nature so you know they said about the monkey story that three monkeys of the 100 were euthanized because they presented a health risk and i wonder if that's meant to make us think about the three wise monkeys, see no evil, do no evil, or speak no evil, hear no evil, or whatever. And those are the ones that they took out. Nice. God. I I, I, I think those stories are just theater. Because when you go back to the beginning of this cult, the cult of the medics, the, you know, the priest class, the attorneys that are all actually working together as three wings of the same system, three parts of the same system. Um even with the animal research thing, that's just like an extension of weird satanic animal sacrifice rights of the ancient world. In my opinion, the same sadistic people are attracted to both, uh, you know, anything where there's power differential over other people and the way that the priest class would teach or would like, you know, imbue their, their uh, sorcery into the minds of the people is every city that they built or that they invaded, they made sure to put a theater in there. And I don't see the news, especially a story about the 100 monkeys and one of the peop- women who caught the monkeys now not feeling well and they could have diseases. That's all theater to keep whether or not anything is said to come from that later down the line. That's just continually seeding the idea in yeah. people's minds. Right. Yeah. And and it's interesting because one of the big things that they have to do in this in this type of research is. I, you know, generally you don't catch diseases from animals straight away. You know, it's not, like I said, we all have our own type of diseases, even amongst humans, certain, certain ethnic or racial groups, uh, I should say racial, um, have, um, their own diseases, right? Cyclosomenia, uh, the Jews have a certain set of diseases specifically the, you know, this group has certain diseases, and they're generally stick to that genetic makeup. And when it comes to the transference of disease from human to animal, it's actually very difficult, which is why you have this gain of function talk now, this thing that's now become a, a mainstream term, you know? So, I mean, one of the things they do in these labs is to, in order to make it, able to infect different animal test animals or humans they have to combine human and you know human anatomy human stuff in order to uh you know they have to put the receptor or put the thing they have to mix it together add mix it together in order for that to be transmissible to humans then they can make their vaccines even though again this can never happen in nature it's it's again one of the seven deadly sins they call it to make something that would require a whole lot of weird stuff to actually happen in nature so it can actually never happen to making it happen in the lab and then letting it you know uh, and it escapes so you take that 
And so this lady has been around monkeys and there's, and she's saying she's sick. I would put a, I would put a serious doubt that that is a true statement. Um, because again, can the monkey, can the disease that's transferred actually be transferred to a human or is it a monkey disease? Um, every, every animal, for instance, that has wasting disease, um, has a different prion disease or has a different form of what we call AIDS, feline AIDS and feeling, you know, all these different things. So is one transferable to another? No. And that's, that's where these laboratories come into play, the so-called science. And they start admixing, intermixing things that shouldn't, shouldn't ever happen in nature. And now suddenly you can, have a bat disease come to come into humans, right? So, as I said, it's it's great fear campaign. It supports the supports the propaganda that uh, these diseases are somehow natural or just caught, you know, randomly, not something that's done in the science community. And like I said, when I when I heard all these when they got when all these guys get together in these functions and these committees and they admit that there's never actually been a pandemic that's been natural, that every pandemic we've ever had was something lab grown. And these are the official people, you know, <laughs> there's something really wrong, you know, going on here. And I just can't believe more people aren't up in arms about that fact alone that that again these these pandemic type of things are you know starting 1918 the so-called spanish flu right it was a vaccine campaign that went went very very wrong so uh it just it just really really irritates me that more people aren't angry and when I say angry, I mean, so you're taking something that in nature would kill 60% of people and you're making it worse. You know, you're making it, you're taking it and you're making it somehow, you know, bird flu, for instance, Anthony Fauci, his baby is, is highly pathogenic H5N1. Um, and to gain a function, it to make it even more you know, virulent to make it so it doesn't need an intermediary animal to come into the human in the lab. And then, of course, there's there's the fear that it'll escape or be released, you know. So, dude, it's. If there is to be a war, I will tell you that it will be a germ warfare, a chemical. Uh, uh, I know people don't like the word germ, even though it <laughs> has a specific meaning, but uh, it will be something that they've, you know, it will be biological, put it to you that way. I think that is a weird thing, too, in history, how so much is blamed on the germ mans. <laughs> and even back before they were called the Germans, that that uh, lineage or, you know, race or family would often be like the villainized individuals oh, German, in, against the empire german or germane actually i mean the word itself i mean i mean people know this but to be germane is to be pure that's what the word means that's what they're called that's what they called it 
German because it's the pure, you know, it's, this is where all this racial shit comes from is the notion that they're Germane or German, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what the word actually means. Um, take it however you want, but it's, it's, the the that whole, I mean that that I mean that is a subject all in and of itself. That whole history, trust me, it's something you don't want to talk about because <laughs> you will you will get you will get blacklisted by uh, all of the groups that protect that story. Um, and uh, you know you don't you don't want to you don't want to be on the ADL hit list. I'll tell you that. <laughs> speaking from speaking from experience ask any question and you will get on there so yeah well we can pivot away from that i think people can look into that question on their own since it wasn't really part of my main agenda today mm. so i wanted to see if there was any uh any way that we could connect two branching ideas that i was most interested in talking about with you First of all, is the content of the new episode of Red Pill Sunday School that you just put out, season two, episode six, clocking in at, I think, eight hours and 54 minutes. I was uh, I would recommend that it actually fits your vocal pattern to put it at like one point two five (laughs) speed because you don't lose you don't lose the ability to understand it. Like some people, if you speed them up, it's like gobbledygook and it's just not really being processed. But it worked really well for me to do that, so I got through it in one day. And I this know. entire episode was about the Patriot dismantling a big facet of the Patriot mythology around the redemption process, which I find to be also highly symbolic because in the uh, uh, the other branch of the cult, which is the religious hexery, they also are, are selling you a redemption story that is you know an externalization of an internal process. So we could talk about that. And also I'm curious, well, I'll get to what else I want to talk about. We'll start here. Yeah, it's, um, well, let's talk about the alternative movement altogether. You know, it's funny because when I first started, I didn't have gray hair. Uh, I was one of the new guys and I was young and I was doing all this stuff. And there were the old guys that were um, peddling the same stuff that's being peddled today. there is a certain mythology, call it a patriot mythology. I didn't coin that term. Um, that has been around since the seventies, sixties, and seventies, from from when the whole tax protest movement really started. And I've heard, and and this is the one to be clear uh, before we even get started here, because I don't want to offend anybody. I, I want to make it clear that I was one of the people who really grasped onto this. I found it about the straw man. Um, the legitimate- you wrote the book on straw man. <laughs> well, I I found out about the straw man in, in L.A. when I was in We Are Change, but two thousand uh, two thousand uh, maybe three or four. Right, that's when I really started getting into this. I I left New York after nine eleven. You know, watched it from my roof and all that. Experienced all that, um, and that redemption process. And the the tax protests and all that stuff was going on back then equally as much as it is today. And it's the same old story. Sometimes it's revamped. Um, So we'll we'll cut it down 
in parts because there's certain foundational flaws, foundational fallacies that need to be addressed before. And, and so that anybody you hear talking about this, you know, right away, okay, this is fraud. There's either a good intention person like me who heard it and said, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. I'm going to share it without checking and, you know, <laughs> without verifying sources. This is why now I, I never listen to anybody without verifying the source, right? I do not teach or share anything unless I go to the source. And you saw in the video, what am I going to, right? The legal code, the uh, FBI website, all the places. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, places that uh, most, most truthers fear to tread. And I don't want to look in those places. Let's take, let's take a primary example of that, right? If I were to tell you, and I, I, I repeated this without verifying it. I still kick myself for, for doing this. But if I were to tell you that the United States has gone bankrupt three different times and there's a whole story behind it the 70, every 70 years, it's, you know, all these different things. If I were to tell you that even the, that once the, the United States has gone bankrupt, well, the first thing you 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 should be thinking is, oh, well, that's interesting. I'm going to go look it up, not just to make, not even just to make sure it happened, right? But to say, well, gosh, if the United States went bankrupt, right, most powerful country in the world went bankrupt, would you think that it would be headline news? I mean, what else could top the United States going bankrupt, right? In in the news, it would be. Uh, congressional record it would be everywhere i mean there was it would be very very simple to find the united states going bankrupt and so you type it in to so i'm going to verify it right i I just heard this grandiose story about uh, the patriot mythology and i'm going to go okay and what you find is there's no there's no history of the bankruptcy of the united states why because nation states such as the united states don't declare bankruptcy. Now you got municipalities, cities, counties, and even states can declare the, the federal sort of corporate structure of that. They can declare bankruptcy. They have municipal bankruptcy chapter, I think 15 and chapter nine. I can't remember. Um, chapter 11. I can't remember which ones, which chapters that are specifically for municipal bankruptcies. Right. I wrote about it. Uh, the Stockton bankruptcy lie where I showed the Kaffir had all this money and they're declaring bankruptcy, even though they have all this money. Right. So yes, cities could declare bankruptcy. Washington DC technically could, I think declare bankruptcy, but the government itself as a nation state, and that's a term that, that I'm going to cover in the next uh, video, because we really, I don't think most of us understand what a nation state is. Um, I certainly didn't until I started down this, this avenue, but there's no bankruptcy. Okay. We have defaulted on our debt as many countries do. Um, in fact, one of the defaults was the start of a war with France, but there's no bankruptcy. Okay. So right there as the foundation of a, of a, of a sort of mythology or a history to support 
this whole redemption process, right? Where you're authenticating your birth certificate and you're doing this and you're doing that. You're handing in your passport and saying, I'm no longer a citizen, but I'm a national and all these different things. Right. The the first thing that's mentioned is the bankruptcy. And that is a lie. Okay. And whether it's a good and a well-intentioned lie, but like someone like me, who had heard the story so many times and then started to repeat it. And that's what I think we're dealing with is we're dealing with a bunch of parrots. I was being a parrot of how many people parrot, for instance, Alex Jones, right? How many people parrot something without verifying what's being said? I'll give you another example. Let's use Alex Jones as a good example, because man, how many things have I uncovered with him that that have been lies? Oh man. He, he, him and some newspaper promoted the naked body scanners. This was a long time ago. And I have a thing still up on my blog, although the links are dead now, of course. But they actually went to a, they showed a picture of, of a quite lovely woman with large breasts. And, uh, and uh, you know, they, they said this is a, a, a picture that the naked body scanner, you know, the... Um, the new body scan, the the ones that have been in the airports for like 10, 10 years now, uh, the full body scanners, the, the back scatter scanners. This is the picture uh, that it's taking to try to convince you that it's taking a, a picture of everybody uh, nude, essentially, that it sees through your clothes and it sees your entire body and takes a picture, right? And they put this picture up. Well, it turns out this picture was from a European obscure modeling website that someone found and because they did a search for the picture through the internet there it was this model picture that they grabbed used it as a lie to show that there is a scan happening of your of your entire body right so they took a, a, a picture from a modeling agency probably paid for it i don't know and used that in one of their news articles as the picture of an actual woman being scanned and um, violated, basically. Yeah, yeah. To show that we're all that they're all they're taking pictures of us naked. Basically, a fear campaign. Just, just the, what what Infowars is famous for, essentially, right? What Alex Jones is famous for: the fear, the fear, the fear. Um, complete and utter lie. And I wrote, I think it's called the naked body, <laughs> the naked, uh, I can't remember something on my blog about it. I would have um, called it the naked body scanner scam. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Hoax, I think I used, but, but I, I just, you know, and it was I guess the whole world at that time repeated it. Cause I, oh. I remember hearing about it and I wasn't even like really look into Alex Jones or anything like that. They weren't just repeating it. They were using the same picture. Over and over, copy paste, copy paste, right? Because that's what people do, thinking that they're they're getting legitimate information, and that's what I mean by parrots. Because I thought I was getting legitimate information when I kept hearing the same presentation being said about this redemption process, right? So, okay, the bankruptcy of the United States. No, there is no bankruptcy of the United States. If you hear someone say that, immediately you know that they're coming from a 
place where they haven't done any actual research, that everything they've learned is from what I call gurus, <laughs> people who uh, who pretend to know what they're 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 talking about, but actually, in reality, as as was my case, have no idea whether the information is true or not. This is why I switched my level of thinking and my uh, my research to only primary sources, patents, and, and things that I can verify, things that I can prove, right? I don't ever anymore delve into this. But I did write up a whole thing on this because I'd heard it so many times, and I retracted it. You know, not enough people retract their stuff. Um, a lot of this is based, let's take another one that I've covered in depth, which is the Federal Reserve mythos, right? The Federal Reserve is private. The Federal Reserve um, isn't under somehow under the United States or not. You know, it's, it's this the, the creature from Jekyll Island, this all of the mythos around the Federal Reserve, all of it is complete bullshit. Federal Reserve is not private. It is independent. Big difference. If you look up independent um, independent agencies of government, you'll find the post office. You'll find the you know Federal Reserve. You'll find the Securities and Exchange Commission and all the different de facto things that they've created to essentially corporations they've created to do things. Because obviously Congress doesn't have time to you know they create something. It goes into the executive branch, and then that takes care of the money and takes care of the postage and it takes care of this, securities and exchange, and all these these many, many, many different corporations. And they all have board of, boards of directors. They're all the same. But for some reason, the Fed, it's a great, it's a great uh, foundational fallacy to throw out there to say, well, the, the Fed is its own thing, and, you know, it uh, – uh, all the tax, all the taxpayer money, uh, for instance, is one of the tax protests. All the taxpayer money goes to the Fed. Well, no, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> See, none of this stuff is true. There was no signing of the bill late on Christmas when half the, when most of the the legislature wasn't there, as G. Edward Griffin proposed. There was. No, right, because it still had to go through all these different things after that, all these different committees and things. It, the, the whole thing, the, if the people, for instance, if the senators, uh, congressmen or senators, legislatures were there, all of them were there to vote no, it still would have passed. It but also this, perpetuates this fallacy like then um, the evil bankers are somehow the problem and not the, oh, uh, not the Congress themselves, you know. It, but I wonder, too, I haven't looked into his work, but there's also Eustace Mullins, the well, writer of yeah, and, and uh, Eustace Mullins. Unfortunately, they call him a Holocaust denier and anti-Semite on Wikipedia, so maybe he's got something to say that well, I want you to know. You know, a while ago, um, the one of the Neset members of the Israeli parliament was on Oh, I can't remember which news show it was, but I mean, she came out and she said, look, this is a trick. We use this in, in America. We say you're a, you're an anti-Semite, right? You look up Semite, it actually means Arab. Um, they added Jew to it later um, because Jew is not a race. This is what people don't understand. Um, 
And then in Europe, we say uh, Holocaust denier, because once you're on this list, um, I was put on the list and kicked off the local AM station and blackballed because I supported a movie that was very against the ADL. It was made by an Israeli Jew. And I said the words fake Holocaust museums, which they are in, in, in uh, the, basically this, this movie defamation, they take all of these um, kids from around the world and they send them through these basically indoctrination camps um, and, and teach them that they are Jews. They're not white. They're not this, they're not that they're Jews and that everybody hates them and that you should hate everybody for hating them. And that's what this guy portrayed. He's an Israeli guy who, who, you know, a lot of people in, in Israel see, see right through this too. So, you know, she comes on and she says, yeah, it's a trick. This is what we use. We label these people. And once you're on this list, um, I mean, I've had people tell me, I, I wrote a recent thing about it, um, that they can't ex that before accessing my site, the thing pops up and says, this website promotes intolerance, for instance, one of the, one of the key words, right. And that you shouldn't go to this website. Right. Uh, nothing on my website. Is anything to, there's only things you can verify. Right. I know I try to aside from what we're talking about now, uh, everything on my website is verifiable. Right. So, yeah, just for recommending a movie and quoting from the movie, um, I was I was blackballed and the, they called me into the radio station. Um, K talk, 630 a.m. and. uh said, look, um, the ADL called the station. And since you were, you're, you're the lowest on the totem, you were the guest. We're, we're going to use you as a, basically a sacrifice so that we can keep broadcasting. So they basically, you know, it was horrible. ironic that that's These what the word bad. Holocaust means is the uh, votive for a sacrifice or the offering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got Holocausted. So, right, right. In the, in a, in a I bring this up because uh, I, I wonder if this pertains to the redemption mythology, which we still haven't even gotten to the part about how, like, there's this widespread belief that you can get money out of this. And that's probably what attracts people to it. But with I don't know for sure, but with Eustace Mullins and then the uh, the creature from Jekyll Island by G. Right. Edward Griffin, there could be because this does happen uh, paralleling. Well, where he, somebody he, has a good work or there's something relevant to the work. And then they, the uh, cult brings somebody else on the scene to basically take their, the, the previous person's work, twist it and make it way larger. Like it's com coming from them because they've got more exposure on them. Yeah, and then the yeah. previous person who had good work is kind of left in the dust. And now we've got this paralleler. Who's the one who's famous on the he, face he of the idea. He plagiarized uses bones. Now you got to think that, the whole banker thing. Yeah. There's a, a serious reality when it comes to banking. Right. But like when we say this is a great, great myth as well, the bankers, right? Who's the bankers? Well, who owns the money? Who prints the money? What does the constitution say? It says only the federal government can print money. So who's the banker? Voila. I mean, 
government is the only banker there is. Everybody else are members. If you join the Federal Reserve, it's because you're a banking institution. And this is the problem is that people are sending the Federal Reserve stuff and saying, you have an account with my name on it, my birth certificate, and I want to get my $300 million that I'm worth, right? (laughs) And uh, the problem is the Federal Reserve and the Treasury uh, direct accounts are only for banks. They're a different kind of person. (laughs) You're an individual person, whereas banks are corporations, right? So the problem is, you know, the the United States protects persons, but for the most part, they're commercial entities, right? So banks, corporations, associations, uh, foundations, that kind of thing. Those are all persons in law. And this is something I'm going to cover deeply in the next video so that it's clear that, yeah, I mean, I, I use the example, I think, I, it's a long video, but I use the example of robots uh, people want to give robots that are smart and self-efficient uh, personhood. And a lot of people argue, well, no, persons are, you know, I have, I'm a person. I'm a person. No, you're not a person. A person is a legal status. Right? So they want to give a person to a robot in case the robot does harm. Right? It's the same thing kind of as the secured party creditor. Your person We use the person, this vessel in commerce, to do everything, and then we're bound by the person. Since the person is property of government, of course, then the person can be sued. We are the the agent for service of process on anything that happens to the person. It can't be transferred to anybody else. Therefore, we're responsible for any debts, obligations, etc. of the person. So all the law applies to the person that we are acting as or acting under. That's your citizenship. That's your everything. So to attach the person to yourself in any natural way is is a huge mistake. And of course, in legal, they call it a natural person. And that confuses people because, of course, there is no... There's no nothing natural or real in the legal realm. It's all artifice. It's all fake. It's all fiction. So to say natural doesn't mean of nature or of God. It means um, proprietary to natural. Like if God creates something, it's natural. If the state creates something, it's natural to the state. Right? But it's not of nature as we use the term. This is why legalese is so confusing because it inverts everything into that matrix, that legal matrix, and where everything you, you know, every noun that you use, every name, every person, place, or thing, in other words, has has been given a name. They have been given a title, a fiction, and that's what we refer to things as, and that's that's where the spirituality has has been just completely taken away because then we believe everything is under this legal law and system. So the, the problem, the, the real problem is, okay, one, again, who is the bank? There's only one bank. That's government. Bankers, members of the Federal Reserve, are required to have membership stock in the Federal Reserve. Because of that, and this is what it says in the law, the Federal Reserve actually had to create a fact section 
uh, to answer questions, to, to say, look, okay, stop blaming us for all this crap, this ridiculous Patriot stuff. We are not into, we're not private. We are not um, what you think, right? And to be a member of our bank, you have to be a bank. You have to give us like a million dollars or something, and you have to have membership stock. And the membership stock is non-ownership stock. But I can imagine that Eustace Mullins would look at that and say, oh, my God, banks all have stock in the Federal Reserve. And therefore, the bankers own the Federal Reserve. I mean, how many times do you hear that, right? That the, that the Federal Reserve is private, owned by bankers, et cetera, et cetera. All of it is untrue. And I've proven it in triplicate beyond any doubt. And yet people are still making documentaries about the Federal Reserve and the bankers. You, In order to participate and make funny money, and you have to be a member. You're required to be a member of the Federal Reserve. If you're not, you can't do the things you do. And the membership stock, again, is non-ownership stock. All it's there for is it's like a membership card, you know, like you're joining a gym and you get certain royalties and benefits for being a member. That's it. It's not ownership. So the banker miss is another thing. Banks can't do anything without the government allowing them to do it. The Federal Reserve can't do anything. Without the government, the Congress, who created it, right? The creator controls. That is a maximum of law. So who created the Federal Reserve Congress? Who makes the laws for the, for the Federal Reserve Congress? Who created the post office? Who created all these things? Yet they're all independent. They all have a board and they all have all these things. Now, here's the confusion. The confusion is the Federal Reserve and the post office and the Securities Exchange Commission and all these different agencies are there because Congress doesn't have time to to manage all these things. So they hire managers. Makes sense, right? What they are allowed to do is make their own rules. Oh, so we confuse rules with laws. And so what will happen, what the, uh, here's a great example. Congress passes a law that says, the chairman of the Federal Reserve cannot reveal certain things in a public forum. So when Congress then asks the, say, Ben Bernanke, right? There's a lot of it with him. Oh, Ben, ben Bernanke refused to answer questions because the Federal Reserve is private, doesn't have to answer questions. No, Congress passed a, a law that says the Federal Reserve chairman and anybody in the bank cannot answer questions that are state secrets in a private forum. But the Congress then asks these questions. They know that Ben Bernanke is not going to be able to answer or whoever the current Fed chairman is. They know they're not going to be able to answer that question in a public forum. The one that we're actually seeing, because look, even if you go to the Capitol and you're watching from the from the the banister when they go into private session you have to leave the building there's public and there's private they go into private session you're not allowed to hear it right so they're asking you know anything you see on film in other words is is a 
public place, and the chairman is required by law, created by the Congress, not to answer Congress's questions. So what do they do? They ask the questions, and then they say, see, our hands are tied. We, Congress, can't control the Federal Reserve. It's a, it's a scam. They're playing it right in front of you, and we all fall for it. Right. Yeah. Their whole game is manufacturing boogeymen so that you'll blame boogeymen on why your life isn't in order. And that's the point. Congress has power over everything it creates. It makes the laws. It can change the laws at any time. Proof of that is Ron Paul's bill to end the Fed. Right. You, have, I mean, you can't just do that for Walmart or that. No, they have, they can only end what they create. Right. So, I mean, the whole thing is a giant shenanigan, right? It's just, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's there for propaganda purposes to make people think that Congress is weak and has no power over its own creation. This is completely 100% against the maxims of law, the principles of law. Everything about it is a lie. And when I say then that government is really the only banker, that's what I mean. I mean, government is is the money producer, Banks are allowed to create money when you uh, apply for it, right? Get a loan. They make money out of thin air. You've heard that. Um, But that's because they're members of the Federal Reserve. That's how money is actually created. You can read that in the Federal Reserve reports. God forbid you should actually go to the Federal Reserve website and actually read what it's all about. The other thing is go to the Federal Reserve law, the actual law that created the Federal Reserve and you'll you'll find them half the fallacies about it are are just proven just with the the Federal Reserve Act, right? Unbelievable. Now, this, this was all just branching off of the question that is foundational to the redemption mythology of yes. the United States government going bankrupt. And by by definition, bankruptcy is for traders and merchants. So that doesn't fit. For the government in the first place, they are the bank to the traders that's, and merchants. Well, that's why you saying. can go, you can go bankrupt. Your you, your person, I should say, can go bankrupt. And for um, for other persons that are not traders or merchants that do not pay their debts or can't, they're called insolvent. Which so it's really like a bankruptcy is a business term, not even for the average personhood. But the uh, yeah, the obviously though, you know. We don't want to say that we support the existence of a central federal bank or that it's a good thing to have fiat fractional reserve banking currency. It's just that well, we need to get straight like that the the boogeyman is in the mirror for us taking part in these systems. And they are going to Babylon will probably exist for whatever we do. The central bank as a boogeyman concept. Yeah, I'm not a supporter of the central bank. Why? Because having a central bank is, of course, one of the uh, planks of the Communist Manifesto, right? Exactly. Of, of which all of which are now law in the United States. You are in communism. You just don't know it. That was but one of my that's... notes was something to point out was if we could run through some of those points that yeah. the Communist Manifesto in the I'm, U.S. I'm... law code. This is going to be probably my next book that I'm going to do um, when I get through with all these little projects is, uh, is, is that whole thing. I, <laughs> I started making a talk about it. And then when I really got into it and started understanding 
the ins and outs of it that I hadn't looked at before. I was like, Oh my God, this is way worse than I ever thought possible. Um, I, and again, this happens, this goes back to the nation state and the, the problem with, I mean, just so people understand when I say nation state, we have the 50 States, we have the outlying possessions, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, Virgin islands, those kind of things that are possessions of the United States, a nation state, right? Um, other nation states that we talk about, United Kingdom is a nation state. Uh, the, the Vatican City is a nation state. But then you go to individual countries who have provinces and states and whatever, but they are actually a nation state of the you know, in the United Nations. And so the country itself becomes a nation state. Now, the difference between a state and a nation is that a nation, when when we became a nation, when I say we, the states, the colonies, whatever, became a nation, it was a spiritual concept. In other words, the nation is not a physicality. It's not an entity. It's not a thing. It's a spiritual mindset that we would call federalism, right? And again, this is all going to be covered in triplicate, but the, the idea behind federalism was to keep the centralization of the government in check, right? So that the states kept their sovereignty. The nation was a compact between the states to protect one another from that very thing. And then what you find is that when the Constitution was was created, um, it was the foundation for creating this a centralized government, nation state. After the Civil War, when the you know I guess the Civil War is the first time you really see what a nation state is because the nation state, Washington D.C., the federal government, the central government, attacked. The states. He says it north versus the south. It wasn't the north versus the south. It was the United States versus the southern states that said, no, we will not give up our rights. We will not give up our sovereignty. We're separating from the spiritual union. We're no longer part of this compact to protect one another. We're going our separate ways. We're starting a new country, a new nation of the Confederate States. And they tried to get that recognized in international law, but it never was. So you have essentially the nation state is the nation that becomes a state. A spiritual concept of nationality that becomes a corporate entity in and of itself, a nation state, a, 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 if you will, a person at law or a, you know, something that is recognized internationally in international commerce. And it's purely a commercial entity. Now, one of the things that is so important to understand, because we're all confused as hell, why does everything seem so unconstitutional? Why does every every action that government takes is against the Constitution? Why is everything uh, that happens to us, it seems like our rights are constantly being violated? Why, 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 why? And in that document, 
in, in the Red Pill Sunday School thing we're talking about, there was one sentence that says it all. You know, we say free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of this, freedom of this. Well, it says commercial speech is not protected by the Constitution. Constitution protects inherent rights of men. Commercial speech is not of men. Commercial speech is in the legal fiction. Commercial speech is in international commerce. Why are we having problems exercising any rights? Because we're acting as commercial persons, commercial entities that call us individuals. And we are in commerce or considered to be in commerce 24-7 because we're in person. We're not acting as ourselves. All over the world, you had the same exact thing happen. And this is, uh, this is getting to the, one of the great fallacies that we have in the patriot movement is the republic. Okay? We, uh, the, the story will always be the same bankruptcy of the United States, all these different fallacies. And then they'll get to this. They'll say, well, you know, when Ben, I think it was Ben Franklin, uh, came out of the constitutional convention and some lady said, what kind of government do we have? And Ben Franklin says a Republic, if you can keep it. Yeah. You've heard that before. Oh yeah. Popular myth. Well, uh, whether that's a myth or not, the idea that's being expressed is that somehow a republic is novel or not, you know, it, it, that that it's special, like a constitution. Like a, a constitution is special, like nobody else has a constitution. Everybody else has a constitution. We're the only ones that somehow worship it which is part of the mythos, part of the propaganda process, right? Because the Constitution actually destroys the entire independence of the states. That's that's why we should be against it, not for it, right? We had the articles. We had these independent states. We had a nation. We had a compact to protect one of them. We had militias to protect against both enemies and a centralized government that would try to, you know, come in. Biggest complaint. Uh, of the colonies was that there was a centralized army of the king, right? A national army. Well, that's why we had militias to protect against that. So the militias were then sucked into the, you know, the national guard and the U S army. So now the nation state, all the militias or, or what would be really good statesmen that would want to protect their people, their families, against anything encroaching, we're now sucked up into this centralized national military, right? So where they're pit against the very states they're from, right? I mean, that is, that is why the nation state is so bad. The nation state is a state of the United Nations. Think about it this way. All the things that were ceded to the United States after the Civil War, all the public lands, 
all the things that the United States, this nation state, this corporate structure now has commercial control over. The states gave up their sovereignty to the United States. Now the United States as a nation state is in a position to give up that to someone else. So you have this intermediary where the states are part of the nation. The nation becomes this wicked stepchild and defeats the states. Now the United States starts giving away all the sovereignties that it took in the new, because it forced all the states to come up with new constitutions that supported the United States as its master. And they ceded all the lands and they ceded all this stuff, all these rights. And now the United States is in a position as with all the world and the nation state that represents every country, every people. Now the nation states purely a commercial entity are all together in one big gigantic nation called the United Nations. And they are states. They're subpar. They're, they're not sovereign, right? And they are now giving up all the rights that we gave up because we are a defeated country. Now they're giving up all those rights to the United Nations, accepting international treaties, accepting all these things that completely take away all the things that we worship as what we call our rights, our cherished constitutional rights, our cherished this, this, all that stuff is being obliterated on the national level because we allowed our federalism, which is states in power, to become a national government or a central government that takes all those powers away. That's where we are. Now, I didn't fully understand this until I really did this deep dive. And again, I'm going to put this all down in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be gone for a little bit, but then I'll put it down. And, and it's really an amazing story. And it's completely different than the worship of the constitution and the worship of all these things. And one of those things is the Republic. Now, we're so enthralled with these ideas of the Constitution and the Republic. We're supposed to be a Republic, right? The states are actually supposed to be a Republic. But if you look at the entire structure of all countries, who isn't a Republic? Got the Republic of China? supposedly our enemy you got the republic of russia you got the republic of congo you got the republic um, you start looking down the list the only things that aren't republics are monarchies there is nothing special about a republic republic means commonwealth it doesn't mean anything if china can be a republic then we can be china is the point if Russia can be a republic, well, we could be just like Russia. All it takes is the nation state to change the laws. And that's essentially what's happening to us. Because all of our power was taken away from the state model, the actual little republics, all of that power is now being all of the sovereignty, the notion of not being able to be now 
We're under the, the international criminal court, the international this, the international that. We're accepting United Nations international treaties and international. One of those is Unidroit, which I'm going to cover. Um, uh, it's very important to understand. I'm going to do a whole history on the uniform uniform law commission part of Unidroit is on my list to talk about today. Yeah. Well, it's um, Unidroit is the international sort of unification of all laws. Okay. You in America, we've had this uniform law commission under various names since the 18, you know, what is it? 1860s, right after the civil war. Why did they create the Federal Reserve? Let's just take that as an example. Because there was so much chaos actually happening that something needed to be done to, quote-unquote, uniform, make uniform the money, the money system. Because people, the scams and the, the organized crime that was happening, you did need some sort of organization. Now, the central bank, that's... You know, again, we could debate that all you want, but there was a need to reorganize the system because banks were printing money by themselves without any limitations. Um, there was, you know, the fractional reserve system was just a mess. You know, there was a need for organization, and that was, of course, a great way to bring in a central bank, part of the Communist Manifesto. Um, you create a problem, right? Problem, reaction, solution. Solution, you know, the problem, and now you you, bring, you come in with your solution. Well, that's what they do on a constant basis. And what they've done, and what Unidroit really is, is a commercial, contractual uh, system. Uh, one of the, what, I'll give you an example of something that most people are probably familiar with. When you get your computer, you're all excited, or your phone, right? And you get the end user agreement. What do you do? Oh, you scroll right to the bottom and hit agree without looking at a word. Yeah, if you were to read that, you'd find all the stuff you're giving up, all the rights you're giving up, that you're entering into international contract. I don't know if it actually says Unidroid, but one of the big things it says is that you're giving up your right to go to court. You can't sue the company, but you're allowed to go to arbitration. So arbitration was one of the big things that uh, Unidroit promotes is to take you out of the court system, right? And put you into a personal or private arbitration, which has so many problems you wouldn't believe. Um, Unidroit is the International Institute for the Unification of Private Law, just to give that context. That's what they call themselves anyway. So, so in other words, they're taking you out from, un, uh, from what we consider, right? If someone does me wrong, I sue them, I go to court, and I supposedly get a fair trial, right? All the things that protect you, all the maxims of law that would protect you if you know what you're doing in court, right? All the good that would be in the court system, which I admit there's not a lot anymore. Um, there's so much corruption, but... It's taking you, it's making you in, in a commercial situation, in a contractual situation, it's saying you're not 
a United States citizen. You're not a citizen of any country. You're now in this international stateless place. And the, the idea of statelessness is, is a very, very, it's a very, very bad thing unless you're completely self-sufficient. Um, you know, statelessness, the government warns you, you know, all these people that are giving up their citizenship or think they are, I don't think they actually are. Um, it, it, it warns you, you know, if you do that and you lose your nationality, well, then you're going to be stateless and you're, you're not going to be able to travel. You're not going to do anything. Basically, you're not going to have any privileges or rights or anything. Um, something that in the right circumstances would be a good thing. Right. But unless you're spiritually prepared for that, yeah, this you're, you're addicted to money. You're addicted to credit and debt and all these different things. You don't want to be stateless, you know, at that point. But what this does is it elevates you in a bad way into an international system of commerce where Unidroid is the founding principles of contract. And again, they put you into arbitration. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can make this what it is you're going from a court that has a, a a specific set of rules that you can follow into an international setting where you choose the country and system you of law you want to be under and choose that if you do go into arbitration it will fall under unidroid principles and it will go into say this country um right and there's there's instances where you know we don't even know our own law let alone every other country in the world's law so imagine suddenly going and you're now you're in the law of the netherlands right because that's where your arbitration contract is but you're not reading your end user agreement in this so-called great reset, what do they say? You're not going to own anything. You're going to have, you're going to, you're going to, uh, there's no ownership. There's only the uh, contract. There's only use. Uh, what's it called? When you, there's only franchise, right? You can use the product when you get your computer. Licensing. Licensing. Thank you. You don't actually own the computer, right? It, I remember in your book, the definition of license is not a good word. No, lawlessness, basically. But um, yeah, it means that they can take it from you uh, if you're using it for, for uh, bad purposes. I mean, it's you're giving up so much by entering into these kind of agreements. And not to mention all the information they can sell and all this stuff. If you read that end user agreement, there's no way in hell you would a rational sane man would, you know, agree to those terms, but we're so desperate that we accept it because how else can we then, you know, do this? How, how can I communicate in the, in the <laughs> digital realm in the matrix? How can I be part of the matrix if I can't get my computer? So we, you know, we just, we accept the most atrocious violation of rights imaginable by accepting these end user agreements and for some reason it makes us feel better just not to read them and uh you know pretend it's not there and it comes back to bite you later so this is what it's all about now they they this coalition of lawyers attorneys 
Supreme Court judges, congressmen, they all get together in what's called this. Um, I just said it, but now I can't remember the Uniform Law Commission that's in the United States. And this has been going on all over the place. And the idea is to make uniform the laws. Now, the great example is Common Core. Remember Common Core? Yeah, the educational thing. So Common Core could not be passed federally because it was so messed up, right? So what they do, this is ama- it's an amazing story. And I just, again, people don't realize how things work. The net, the, every position in politics, whether you're a sheriff, you're a governor, you're a secretary of state, you're a secretary, you're whatever, all of them have private associations, non-governmental associations that they belong to. And those offices are in Washington, D.C., because Washington, D.C. is outside of the states. It's not part of the states. It's its own it's its own district, right? So when they go to Washington, D.C., they're literally leaving the what you would call the States United, the, the actual nation, the actual country, and they're going into a foreign area called the United States. It's not part of the states. Washington is ceded from the states its own entity. It's its own nation state whose jurisdiction flows over the states. So the all these people, when they go to Washington, D.C., and they participate in these non-governmental organizations they create, the National Governors Association, guess who owns Common Core? I don't know. The National Governors Association. They created it. They have the copyright on it. What they do is they create legislation in the United States, and then they bring it back to their state. So the governor, who's part of the association that owns Common Core, then introduces it to the on the state level as a uniform code, a uniform law. Okay? Now, if you look up, just go to Wikipedia if you want, whatever, look up uniform laws of the United States, you're going to find everything from child protective services to uniform commercial code to probate law to, I mean, everything that is wrong with our country, especially in the, at the state level, comes from this uniform law, okay? The point is, if I can get Common Core passed in all 50 states as a uniform set of codes and laws, I don't have to pass it on the federal level because it's already been it's already been federalized. It's already been nationalized in the states to where, well, what's the point? I don't have to pass it. Or now I can pass it federally. And what are they going to do? Complain that it's federal instead of state? You already passed it in the state, right? This is how the most atrocious of, of uniform laws are being passed. The idea of being a private, independent, sovereign state is to have your own private law. Private means foreign. All states are foreign to the next. All states are foreign from the United States, right? So on the the big picture, Unidroit then is like the Washington, D.C. 
of the states of the, of the U.S., but to the world because it's where? In Rome. Rome. <laughs> this, is, this is where the notion of everything is attached to Rome comes from. Because, yeah, it comes straight out of Rome, just a few, uh, just very close to Vatican City there. Um, and, of course, that's similar to the city of London, to Washington, D.C., and the Vatican City. They're all these nation-state type of things. So um, districts, basically, that are not part of their prospective countries. Like Rome and the city of the Vatican City, are they're not connected. Right, the city of London, the square there where all the financials are. It's not part of England. It's not part. It's it's Washington D.C. Not part of uh, technically of what we would call America or the states. Right. This is (laughs) this. In my opinion, this is how the the royal families. Once we declared our independence and everything, this is how they got everything back. And if you look, I mean, who's president? This is where I did all my genealogy research. Who's president of the United States? The, you know, the, the, the highest cousin of the queen to, in every case gets, gets elected. When Bush and Kerry ran against each other, they were ninth cousins. And you look at their, their they have the same exact lineage, but Bush was a little bit higher. A little bit, um, you know, Vlad the Impaler was his 25th cousin instead of his 20 or forefather instead of 26, right? So it depends on the line of succession. Trump, Trump and Hillary are related, for God's sake. They come from the same paternal grandmother. (laughs) No one talks about that. No one talks about it. Yet it's mainstream news. You know, it's just nobody talks about it. Obama, the last count that this guy in one of the... Uh, papers uh, said he said he, he connected Obama to 44 of the U.S. senators because Obama is from a, a white family. Make no mistake, he's like I didn't, one, I didn't one think that the uh, I didn't think the religious messiahism that mis- that Obama received could be ever topped, and then Trump happened, and it's still going on. Why well, Trump? Trump's Trump is a bizarre. I mean, I. <laughs> I don't understand it myself, but I do attribute it to what we're talking about. All the Patriot mythology, because what is he going to protect? All the things that we think we have that we don't. (laughs) Right. He's he's we're going to go. We're going to make America great again. Well, when was America great? Tell me what point in history do you want to go back to where it was great? Was it the slaveholding times? Or was it the times afterwards where we all became slaves of the nation? Which part do you want to go back? Because there's, what are you going back to, right? Shouldn't you be forward thinking and saying, shouldn't we be concentrating on the, 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 the idealism that, that was there before the constitution created a nation state before we were defeated by the, you know, the treaties and everything. If you read the treaty of Paris, for instance, where, where it's pretty obvious we, you know, we owe debts to the King and we're under the King still, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole thing is a logical fallacy. And, you know, one of the things I noticed that we do, and I did until I realized this was a hoax, is we go and we 
we'll pick out certain things from different subjects to support our argument. We won't look at the whole thing because that would defeat our argument, but we will pick one event or one thing in history that will support our argument and, and make our story whole. And that's essentially what we've done in this so-called truth or patriot movement. And I want to remind you, this scam, this redemption scam has been around a long time, like generations, decades and decades. Okay. And so the, to be clear, straw man, the, the title of my book Straw man is a legitimate concept. It's found in the dictionaries, comes from Straumineus homo, which means a man of straw or a dummy corporation or something you put up as a, a bail and surety or you stand behind in bail and surety. There is nothing illegitimate or uh, fake or, you know, whatever. This is a, a an actual legal concept and that we're the person that we operate in is basically the straw man. Okay. There's no there's no questioning that as far as the legal theory in the fiction. Okay, that's very clearly um and I again I as, and the spiritual of, aspect of the the uh, illegitimacy of persons in the eyes of the creator or life force energy or Jehovah. Yeah, I I did include that all the verses in the Bible and and see the problem is okay the Bible was common it is common law, okay? We took England's common law system and pretty much made it our own and then, did, you know, altered it. But all, the whole time, I mean, you can find old laws that say the reason that you couldn't speak uh, in public poorly about, say, Jesus Christ. You couldn't use you couldn't uh, criticize the Bible. It's because it's our system of law. Right. And this is what people don't realize. The Bible's not religion. Religions are built around objects and sacred things. The Bible itself is not a religion in any way, shape, or form. It's a book of law. Um, law is used in it many times. <laughs> and the law, which we would call the law of nature or the law of God, two interchangeable terms, YHVH is the correct term, or we say Jehovah or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's not external from us. We are it. Every All of existence is you know, self-existence or self-evidence. That's the whole point is that you're a self-evident being. You're part of Jehovah. You're part of what we call God, but we have no idea what it means, right? It's well-defined. It's It's been a concept for a long time. Um, and it's the foundation of law. There's what is made, what is of God and what is of, what is of nature, what is real, what is inherent, all those terms. And then there's the opposite. And the Bible in every every account, every story is always 100% against lies and fictions and legal and everything else. Legal is 100% against the Bible. We use the legal realm, which was created by the, you know, the secular was created by the church, which used to be the government. The secular was created to bypass the the law of nature. This is why persons exist, because if I act in persons, then what do I have? I have a license or lawlessness. I have a license to kill, license to harm. I can do anything I want as a person because I'm not acting as myself. But what does the Bible say? Over and over and over, every chapter, do not respect persons. 
and divided in the concordances, it means corporations, individuals, all the things that we respect on a daily basis. Governments do not respect corporations, do not respect anything incorporated, meaning soulless. That's what incorporated actually means. That was my first season two was about incorporation. Um, means you have no spirit. You're not being guided by your morals. You're under a strict legal system. You have your spirit's gone, your soul. So when you're when you're talking about the Bible as a book of law, essentially says don't do anything you're doing on a daily basis as a citizen, as a person. Don't respect persons. Don't respect titles. Don't respect all these things because that's what puts you into the artifice. That's what gives you the idea that you have power over somebody else. Be satisfied with what you are. When, when we say, for instance, in the, even in the Declaration of Independence, which I have no problem with, that, was, that document is not law, unfortunately. It's just a statement of the, the – Washington said it wasn't special. It was just a statement of the theory at the time or the, the thought of the time of the nations. So um, it says all men are created equal. Yeah, man, everybody gets so confused by that. Oh, well, I'm not equal. We're not equal. I'm stronger on this, this. It's not what it means. We're talking about law. And the second you get outside of the realm of law, when you're talking about the Bible, you've lost it. You're, you're gone. You're in religion. You're in belief. You're in faith. You're in something that doesn't apply to the purpose of the Bible. So you you have uh, – shit, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> what was I saying? No, you're good. Uh, maybe it'll come back into the weave as we – Talk more about how this applies to the mythology, the patriot mythology, that there's so many facets to it because not like the biggest irony is perhaps that in this scam or belief that you can go and retrieve money from an account that is somehow a stock held in the name of your corporation or your corporate personhood and that it's worth from 600000 to $3 million. Yeah, or a <laughs> billion. Like some, some I actually are, know a guy. I have a friend that I know, not even on the internet, that I actually know who did this, was able to spend money, and then it was tracked and caught later, and he got in all kinds of trouble. So and that's, that's explain why I'm how that works. Because like, yeah, yeah. there's a, you know, how that gets through a certain level of the processing. And, you know, <laughs> Before then, it's noticed well, to be fraudulent. So these scam artists, again, there might be a lot of well-intentioned people out there. I'm not, I'm not at all willing to forgive people for doing what I did, which is to promote something that I didn't verify, I didn't check. Okay, um, it's understandable. It sounds reasonable. It sounds logical. And what you just said is why it's a scam because. In every, all the checks and balances that are there are bypassed by the scammer, by the fraudster who sells you his paperwork or tells you to copy what he did and then send it in, which would be, of course, fraud in and of itself, right? So uh, an example is what you just said. I'm going to, 
do something called accepted for value. Um, accepted for value is a real thing. All these things are real things, but they're not meant for individuals. They're for corporations and other things to accept a payment or a bill for value in a credit transaction where they're pre-authorized to do it, right? This is something that corporations do, is my point. All of this stuff is commercial. It is not meant for men. It only applies to persons, which we are not even supposed to be respecting, right? <laughs> or using or whatever. So what I do is I, I get this idea in my head because these gurus are telling me this. We're repeating it. We're parroting it from the 70s that I can take a bill, let's say my child's student loan, and I can write accepted for value, and I can use red ink, and I can use this and put a certain uh, spurt and magical word on there, send it back. And see, here's the problem. What, the, what they've figured out is that in the processing units of government, the processor is not in a position or authority to say, I recognize this is fraudulent. I'm going to send it back or correct it. Their job is to process all of these things. So you're sending a, basically a bill in that says accepted for value. And you're told that you're turning it into a check that, that, a, a debit into a credit. And so you're sending that back and saying, okay, my bill is paid because the bill is now a credit. Okay. So you're basically wiping out, you're, you're zeroing the balance. Okay. And you're accessing this mysterious treasury account that is based on the value of you because you were put into the birth certificate process and your birth certificate is traded on the open market. And you have a certain value based on all the interactions that all these corporations have. Just, you know, yes, there is a, smidgen of truth when when you say that your deed your birth certificate that which gives you domicile in the united states has a certain value and that it's attached to the you know there is such a small little smidgen of truth to that but what they've done is they've manipulated that truth into a big lie to I don't even know how to say it, but you, you use the truth to justify the lie. So one of the one of the things they'll do is they'll say, "Well, I know that the government, the website, tells you to that you, in order to give up your your citizenship, your nationality, you have to you have to actually stand in front of a consular in a consulate in a foreign country or the Secretary of the State, right? You actually have to." appear in person to relinquish your person to expatriate from the United States, give up your nationality, your, your citizenship. A national is a citizen. A citizen is a national. There's pretty much, I mean, there's a difference, but it's <laughs> a national is someone who owes allegiance to the United States. A citizen is basically, it's, 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 it's your person. It's your law that you're going to follow. A so status. the civil, right? So your, they're they're tied intimately. So those who think they're giving up citizenship are not actually doing it, in my opinion, but they're getting a response that makes them think. 
So they're applying for a non-citizen national uh, passport, for instance. Okay, that is a legitimate passport, and it is given to those who are in the outlying possessions of the United States, for instance, Guam or the Virgin Islands. It used to be given to a very small amount of people who were nationals, but not citizens of the United States because they lived in Virgin Islands, not in California or Nevada or or not one of the 50 states. Right. So there was this national status where you were. You could come to the United States and move freely, but you weren't a citizen. You were a citizen of your island, right? <laughs> so that was a very limited status. But what they've done, these gurus, is they've said, well, because there is a status that you can be a national and not a citizen, we're going to fool everybody into thinking and again, this is this is kind of what I've concluded, thinking they're giving up their U.S. citizenship, but they're really not. Because the instructions say you have to do it in front of a consular, a secretary of state. What they're telling people to do is, oh, ignore that. Even though, the, even though if you read, and I, I read it, I think in the presentation I read, unless you do that, you're not giving up your citizenship, right? Yeah, that came from the legal code itself. Yes, yes. Okay, so people are sending a piece of paper and maybe an affidavit or whatever. Affidavits are, you know, everybody's, you know, it's it's the same thing. Notarize it, uh, authenticate the signature, and uh, do something else and use blue ink. Right. Or stamp it in blood with your 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 fingerprint. Right. Um, <laughs> so that goes. Say They say, no, don't pay any attention to the instructions given by government. No, send it by the mail. Into your secretary of state or do that. That's how you're going to do it. Right. Or they're sending it to processors whose only job is to process, not to judge. And so fraudulent documents are being processed, accepted for value or being processed because they have no power to stop it. They, they say on their own websites that all they do is file what's sent to them and they don't have the ability right. or the capacity or the right. manpower to check everything for fraud and, before and it's that's, filed. That's they're trying to warn you so that what happened to your friend doesn't happen to you because eventually, right? They're going to catch up to their paperwork. Government's not at all, you know, uh, intuitive or what's the word? They're they're not that organized. But when they do get organized, maybe three, five, ten years later, and they catch up on the paperwork, maybe maybe a month later, and they see that you've committed a fraud. It didn't take very long for my buddy Nathan. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're going to come at you. They're going to fine you. They're going to put you in jail. They're going to do whatever it is that it takes to, you know, and, and my personal opinion is I don't think they give a shit because I mean, they're making money, right? They're making money off all this fraud. They're finding people for what did he get a fine? 
I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. He, he didn't wind up with jail time, but he got a big fine. Yeah. So I mean, why do they care if you want to do a, a, a fraud and 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 process something that you shouldn't? Yeah, they're more gonna, money for they're them. They're going to get fines. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's otherwise because here's what's amazing: like Anna von Reitzinger, Anna von Reitz. for listening everybody this was a big one and if you were on the free version of the show on youtube or wherever else you might be tuning in i apologize for the abrupt transition there out of talking to clint into this outro but the thing is he just rolls on and on and i didn't know if we we're gonna go for two hours or three hours or what so i didn't exactly make a smooth cut i didn't want to just stop at one hour and then possibly put two hours on the other side because it would be probably better if we had about an hour and a half on each side. And that's how it split up. So if you're interested in hearing the rest of the conversation, you can check it out on Rockfin or Patreon. And yeah, there's another hour and 20 plus minutes for you to tune into. Clint talking about things like the de jure law versus the de facto law, which is kind of like (laughs) what we have right now is mostly de facto, which is not a good thing. And I asked some questions about the public and the private question, uh, the pub private members association and ways to operate in the sort of cloak of the private legal realm outside of the public. Interesting subject needs more investigation and probably needs more experimentation from people. And I asked him about the uniform laws And uh, Unidroit, basically international law is being made uniform and also federal law is being made uniform across the many states in the United States. Not a good thing. (laughs) And we got into some chats about virtual reality and whatnot. There's a lot in there. I mean, I can't really summarize all of it, so I won't try. You can get the uh, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash interverse or rockfin.com forward slash Interverse to get the second hour or plus of this and every other conversation that I do for Interverse. And because we finished up with Clint on a bit of an abrupt stopping point, I'll go ahead and give his plugs for him, which I think you've already probably heard or aware of. And you, always, you know, you can always check the show notes for that too. The episode description will tell you how to find whoever it is I'm speaking with, but it's Red Pill Sunday School on YouTube. And I think he's doing Odyssey, he said, more than BitChute. So 
I've been actually checking his bit shoot for months and not seeing much go up there. And I didn't realize he was operating somewhere else primarily, which makes sense because bit shoot is a bitch. <laughs> and even as bitch in the word, I mean, I don't mean that as a derogatory term to females, but just that, you know, uh, it doesn't upload very well or it didn't. I think it's gotten better. So yeah, we're, we're, um, putting all our content in the second hours on Rockfin and Patreon. Like I said, always has been, always will be. If you're new around here, that's how you do it. And uh, I'm not really keeping anything that you couldn't go find yourself with Clint because he does have over eight hours on this subject <laughs> recently posted to his Red, Red Pill Sunday School channel. So you can definitely find that for free. He does everything for free. It's really about supporting me, which I hope you want to do. Now, other ways that you can support me and Interverse, which is just me alone, is by maybe getting an Oracle reading with me, do some cards, some spiritual counseling and guidance with the use of this extremely helpful metaphysical tool, the tarot and the I Ching. And you could also get a sound healing session with me. Those go really well. Lately, they've been stellar. And uh, I would love to do more with you guys out there who maybe are on the fence about it or thinking about it. Just get in touch with me, chance at interversepodcast.com or on Telegram. And if you have questions, I'd be happy to answer them about the process. You can find more information on my website on the sound healing page. It's an amazing modality. I won't go into it too deep now. I mean, I'd love to spend two hours just talking about how that works. Um, so other updates for you. We've been having a really good time on Wednesday nights on the video channels with Vibrant and then following it with Flow State. So we're doing two shows back to back. The we being myself in the cast of char colorful characters from Weaving Spiders Welcome and a couple other people outside of the normal Weaving Spiders crew sometimes join in on Flow State. So Vibrant is the live show I do on Wednesday nights where we have fun and interact with the community and still get deep and heady with a guest. And Flow State is usually on the Weaving Spiders Welcome channel, but lately I've been hosting it a lot. And that's where we hang out and read to each other and work on art and put our art on camera with the goal of inspiring you out there to make some art while you listen to us or come on screen with us and show us what you're working on. And of course, the best way to hang out with the community of interversers is on Telegram. We have a raging, wildly awesome Telegram group, I think over 430 members at this point. And we've also got a uh, Weaving Spiders Welcome episode 64 that just dropped last night because I'm talking Sunday right now. And that was we do Weaving Spiders on Saturday night. And if you haven't been checking out Weaving Spiders Welcome and you like me at all and you like the uh, the deep synchro mystic aspect of things that I try to bring up with guests, Weaving Spiders Welcome would be probably your favorite show. <laughs> Not that I don't think Interverse should be your favorite show, but damn. We get into some amazing, amazing connections there. Whenever we have like six or seven bright minds together, putting our thoughts on different subjects into alignment, we all learn a lot. It's amazing. Another thing I want to announce that's pretty cool is soon there, it will be available. It's not approved yet by Audible, but I produced the audiobook for Dylan Sicosio's Spirit World July's End, the third book in his series. and. If you want to check that book out with me reading, then stay tuned and check out the Audible page in the near future for when that goes up. Uh, I'll start linking in, putting it in show notes and stuff and telling you about it all the time because I want you guys to listen to that book or read it. 
once it's up, I'll definitely let you know. I just wanted to kind of share my excitement that I finished the project because it was big. It took me a long time. <laughs> my perfectionism was kind of a, I wouldn't say a hindrance, but it definitely slowed down the process. And because this has already been such a long episode and I think that we covered enough with Clint, I'm going to wrap it up here and not go too long in the outro. Sometimes I go like 20 minutes. So I'm keeping it under 10 minutes, which is pretty good. We are going to play the episode out with a song called Spectral Currents by Blue Tech. And I hope you enjoy it. As usual, everything's linked in the show notes, including this song by Blue Tech. And I hope you enjoy it. And come hang out with us on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights on my YouTube or Rockfin channels, or also the Weaving Spiders Welcome channels. Put alerts on for those channels. Hang out with us or go catch the replays. Really good stuff. A lot of content coming up in the next week. I think I've got like, I don't know, I'm pretty stacked with interviews. Me going on shows and me interviewing people. So there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming out in the near future. Watch out for that. And if there's anybody you want to hear me talk to, I would love to hear some guest suggestions. I've got plenty myself in terms of ideas, but always interested to know who you guys are learning from and maybe I can learn from them too. And with that, we are done with this episode with Clint Richardson. If you liked it, there are three others in my archive with him and he is a beast at this information. He has got a steel trap for it. Extremely, extremely sharp and knowledgeable guy. And I love him. He's a, he's quite amiable and jovial. (laughs) All right. So I'll catch you guys on the flip. Thanks for hanging out. Come talk to us on telegram and I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Much love. Forgot to say that much love. Seriously. So much love. I love you all. 